Today, we're featuring foundation training founder, Dr. Eric Goodman. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, an adventure podcast presented by REI Co-op, the brand who helps get you outside through gear, classes, and adventures. We talk to experts who have taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have climbed the tallest peaks, started thriving businesses, and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. In living wildly, it's helpful to be able to move to the best of your ability. I sit in a chair, stand at my computer to create this podcast, and sometimes I develop imbalances that make it tough to run or surf or adventure as much as I want. We all have our stuff. So today I wanted to bring on a guest that's been recommended by many, Dr. Eric Goodman. He's the founder of Foundation Training, a movement-based training program. Surfers like Lakey Peterson and Brad Gerlach, the late climber Dean Potter, even actors like Chris Hemsworth, Rob Lowe, Jeff Bridges, and Matthew McConaughey, even Dr. Joseph Mercola, if you know who he is, all of these guys have done and benefited from foundation training. I first learned about Eric and the program from the Inertia, a site I've written for for a while. My partner Johnny bought his video course and mitigated chronic lower back pain with some simple exercises. I tried it and was able to cure some nagging IT band issues and have been running pain-free ever since. So whether or not this movement practice or another type of movement practice is right for you, I thought Eric had a really good story. His wild idea of becoming a health practitioner and creating a program to help others move better the way nature intended without any equipment, I thought it was something a lot of you may relate to. Eric's a former water polo player. During chiropractor school, he developed back pain that doctors said he needed surgery for. Instead of surgery, he developed a series of exercises that really helped him, and he started using it with others. In 2008, he was hired to help train the U.S. men's Olympic water polo team. They ended up taking the silver medal, and the rest is pretty much history. Eric's written two books with more on the way. There's now foundation training trainers in over 30 countries. So on this episode, we talk about general advice on how to start moving better today, how Eric got the wild idea to create a new type of movement and breath practice, what other methods might be helpful that are out there and how to discover what might work best for you. Also, why healing emotional pain is as important as healing physical pain and how they often go hand in hand. We even get into furniture-less houses and how they might help you move better. So with any podcast, though, this is for information purposes only. Make sure you do your own research. This is a hearty intro. It's a hearty episode. Enjoy. So let's just start. What are some things people can do right now to feel better, avoid injury, and to set goals to progress for the next year as we come upon the new year? The first thing is you got to focus on posture and not in the way that like your parents used to tell you, sit up straight. It's very different. Uh, posture is more or less the way your body represents itself physically in any position that it's in. And it, it has a lot to do with very deep intuitive muscles that surround your spine and your hips. And it has to do with how your feet are, are in contact with the ground and how your hip joints propel your torso and your head position. All these things come into play with posture. And if you sit down too much or if you take this sort of maladapted physical body into a sport or into yoga or into climbing or into surfing or anything like that without unwinding it and lengthening it, you might get injured. 
So focusing on postural type exercises and breathing type exercises is a very important piece of the puzzle to not get injured. Another thing is warm up. Even if it's just three or four minutes, don't do a workout before you go exercise. Don't do like a 20 minute warm up, but spend three, four or five minutes really focusing on hip movement focusing on ankle movement, focusing on shoulder movement and neck movement. You might find that you have much better overall motion when you go into whatever you're doing. Mm. Hydration is huge. Most people are chronically dehydrated to some degree, and it's a really good idea to hydrate more fully. Other than that, just keep it pretty simple. If you want to make goals for yourself, try to find goals that are not going to wear you out for the next year. You know, if you've never run a marathon, Maybe running a marathon is not the first running endeavor you should do. Maybe a sprint triathlon is a better thing for you, at a shorter range and something that can teach your body to stay strong instead of just suffering through 26 miles. It's just be smart about your goal setting. Be very realistic with who you are and what you want to do and recognize that a goal should not be an end goal. It should be a goal that gets you to the next goal that you're going to set, that gets you further along the path towards an end goal. So you got to look at a sort of microcosmic scale when you're, when you're thinking of goal setting. Oh, that is such good advice. I just read this book, Living with a Seal by Jesse Itzler, and he lives with a Navy SEAL. And they do like six-mile runs in the morning, then six miles at night, and then they run with weight vests, and then they run every four hours in a 48-hour period. And I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and I got to today, and I was like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> but I have a big November, and I just really – wanted to have some physical goals. So I was like, okay, you know, more realistic is three miles a day max. What do you do other than running? I, I do some speed work. I surf. I go to yoga class, but I adapt my yoga class to foundation yeah. training the whole time. <laughs> and then I, 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 you know, lately, we already said it in the intro, but like I do foundation training before I run. It's been great. I think what you said before about warming up, you know, I use the foundation training run warm up as my warm up and it's like five mm -hmm. to seven minutes. And then when I get back home, I do it. But, you know, that that brings me to this really important question. Like we talk about, you know, training so much and setting these goals. But how do you know how much to train a day? It's always such a mystery to me. I think that it. It changes throughout the lifetime, too. It changes for the individual, and it changes throughout a lifetime. I think it's better, instead of knowing how to train or exactly what to do, I think sometimes knowing the symptoms of overtraining can be more, or undertraining can be more valuable. Uh, if you're not sleeping well, you're either doing a little bit too much or you're not doing enough. You're not getting enough energy out, or you're getting so much energy out that your body is sort of in this high alert state, this somewhat adrenalized state, and it can't get out of it because of cortisol being pumped through your system, trying to calm you down. So if you're not sleeping well, you have to change something in your training, whether an increase or a decrease is in demand, that's more up to you knowing what your body is currently doing. If you're getting a lot of the same aches and pains, you have to change something in your training. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're overtraining. It just might mean that you're compensating for imbalances throughout the system and that perhaps the training method that you're using or the exercises that you're using or the sports that you're playing could be lending itself towards imbalance instead of away from it. So you want to constantly be curious about what else is available out there that might potentially help you get better at feeling better. 
And there's a lot of things and there's always people putting new stuff out there. So it's not so much in my over or under training. It's what other information is available to me? What other modalities are available to me? Who else, especially with the internet, just you can see a thousand testimonials about a thousand different things in like a day. You know, there's so many things out there. There's so many different systems. There's so you can go on YouTube and learn a thousand exercise systems or little workouts. You, you know, go go check out if you're an endurance athlete or an intense aggressive athlete. Go learn the five Tibetan rites. Go practice the five Tibetan rites on YouTube because it's going to calm you down. It's going to calm down your nervous system and it's going to help you feel mobile. If you're a person that meditates 24 seven and you're always in this mega Zen place and you're just so good at blocking out stress that, Oh my God, I'm so enlightened. It's amazing. Maybe you should try weightlifting. Maybe you should try powerlifting. Maybe you should try things like CrossFit or things like a little bit of endurance, high intensity training, something to take you out of parasympathetic nervous system for a little while and jump you right into adrenaline. So let's talk about rest too, because that's something, one, you explained how I feel a lot of the time. Sometimes I've trained so hard and it's hard because if the waves are good, then I'm going to go surfing and I've already run and I'm like buzzed the rest of the day. And it's probably because I have that, as you explained it, adrenaline and cortisol pumping through my veins, which isn't good. So resting is is a little (laughs) challenging for me and I'm sure a lot of the people listening but I, I've figured out a way to rest now. Like, how do you, what's your advice to other people on how to figure out how much we should rest and how to do it well? And my only advice on rest is if you feel like you got to rest, rest, prioritize it over everything else. I think if you feel tired all the time, you should start taking like a 15 minute nap in the middle of the day. And it doesn't, you don't have to fall asleep. You just have to shut everything out and stare at the ceiling for 15 minutes. If you fall asleep, cool. If not, no worries. Just get up at 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, I honestly, I, I wish I had a really creative answer of what to do for rest, but I don't. I just think that when your body is at its healthiest, it rests easily. And that sometimes we might be eating certain things, particular grains or sugars or having a, a probiotic or, or, you know, maybe a, a, a biotic spectrum that is lending itself towards excessive thoughts and ruminations, meaning it's exciting our glutamate pathway in our brain. So it's creating this cycle of anxious thoughts and anxious thoughts don't necessarily need to be negative. They just need to be fast and repetitive. You know, you've talked to me a little bit about there's physical pain and there's mental pain. And right now there's a lot of mental pain in the world. You know, we're just coming off the Pittsburgh shootings as we're doing this interview and you said, you know, it's really important to mitigate both. So the physical and mental sort of go hand in hand. Can, can you talk about what you meant by that? I'll try to do it in a quick story. And this is getting personal. This morning, for whatever reason, I just woke up in a bad mood. Bad mood, like grumpy, pissed off. It happens on a regular for me. It's something that's happened to me since I was a little kid. I'm 50-50. I think a lot of people are that way. But I woke up like... Like, just hating everything, man. Like, and just pissed for no reason. My life is very good. I have a good marriage. I have a great kid, a good life. But I was just, I was depressed, straight up, just not feeling it. So I got out of the house, took my dog to our closest beach, put my feet in the water, and I did about five or six rounds of something called Wim Hof breathing method. 
All right. Is, We've had Wim on the podcast. I think most people know who he is. Yeah, everybody knows Wim. He's super yeah. famous. He's, he's awesome. And I did it. You know what? I felt good. And what was interesting is my hips were tight. My hamstrings were tight. And after I did the Wim Hof breathing, they weren't. I was able to kind of playfully gallop along the beach for a moment before I came back in. And I came back in and I felt better mentally and physically. And then I was able to go about the rest of my morning and then come over here and do a podcast with you very easily, very comfortably. And that leads me to mental and physical pain because they are really one and the same. They're very different. They're very different, but they're one and the same. They're still energy transmitted to the spinal cord, translated by the brain into sensation. And they're both very painful. Anxiety is miserable. Depression is miserable. Fear and all those things are miserable, just as miserable as when your back hurts or when your foot can't feel better and you can't walk accurately. You can't, you have to limp. Yeah, it's all the same. If you're limping physically, it's the same as being in a crummy mood and limping mentally, not being able to interact with people the way you wish you could. And well, damn it, you just can't have somebody come to you and make you better in either of those, really. Getting through a whole lifetime of being a human being with a human brain and the spectrum of imbalances that come with that, physical and mental, we really have to take our initiative to learn skills, to get ourselves out of pain and to get ourselves to feel better. Nobody's going to come and do it for you. No relationship is going to save you. No success is going to save you. No mountaintop is going to save you. But the journey to the mountaintop might. And the physical exertion and the overcoming of stressors and challenges seems to have a remarkable ability to get us out of both physical and mental pain. For physical challenges, it's finding your weakness. Like in foundation training, I found that my lower back was my weakest part of my body, and I've spent the last decade training it to the absolute utmost of my ability, and now it's the strongest part of my body, and my body's different, and my life is different. I've seen a lot of people have a similar response. When it comes to mental training, you have many weak spots, and we have to find them. For me, depression is a weak spot. If I don't live my life as I want to, I get depressed. If I don't do things in balance, I tend to get depressed. So I have to find ways to not be depressed because I'm just not really a help to anybody when I'm in that funk, include, you know, especially myself, especially my kid, especially my wife or my friends or my business. So luckily there's people out there like Wim Hof. There's people out there like Brian McKenzie. There's people out there like Laird and Gabby teaching XPT. There's people out there like the Butaiko method, a Russian Konstantin Butaiko that teaches people to breathe very playfully and minimally to reduce anxieties and other problems. There's things like Moshe Feldenkrais's work, Joe Pilates work. There's things like yoga and meditation. There's things like Headspace, the app that helps you guide yourself through little 10 minute meditations. There's free diving breathing and, and, and simple steps you can take to learn how to control your respiration slowly, quickly, deeply, shallowly, all these different things that seem to have a major component in governing how much pain we feel. And that pain is both physical and mental. And it's just, everybody's wired a little differently. Some people feel a little more physical, some people feel a little more mental, and some people don't feel much of either. It's interesting. 
but what you got is what you got. It's the, 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 the hand that you've been dealt. And the more you understand how to play that hand physically and mentally, meaning knowing when you're in a bad mood, it's not that everybody around you is being a jerk. It's that you might be intolerable at that moment and recognizing like, Oh, the only one that's going to make me tolerable is me. And it's not going to be because I say, Oh, I, I can be better. I can feel better. I don't need to be like this. I can put this away. I can put this behind me. No, it's because you transfer the energy into something different because energy is not created or destroyed. It's transferred. And you can transfer negative energy into positive actions that make you feel better. And that's all I want people to do. And that's my, that's my idea that people can actually get their stuff together and skillfully and willfully improve their lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And if they miss a day, they don't hate themselves and resent it and get depressed. They just work a little harder the next one to continue on that path. Eric, thank you so much for sharing that because I relate to feeling the same as well often. And I imagine other people listening to this podcast have felt the same way as well. And I think you gave really good advice about dealing with feelings that aren't always fun that come up. So I'd also like to talk about, you know, this, this thing you've created, foundation training. Can you explain in simple terms what foundation training is? I'm going to give you a scientific answer, a really quick one. And that answer is, is it's a re-education of the axial skeleton towards expansion to ensure that the rest of the body is held together as well as possible. The axial skeleton is your rib cage and your spine. I want those to get bigger and broader, more powerful, wider, taller, longer. I want you to take up as much possible real estate at the center of your body as you can. Big outward expansion of the rib cage when you breathe in. I want you to take that inhalation and kind of maximize the capable muscular contraction of the abdomen as you exhale from that large, big rib cage. And I want to teach your body how to breathe like that. And in doing that, I want to teach you how to activate muscles on the backside of your body. So we're going to go into these isometric poses, like the founder, the woodpecker, the lunge decompression, the gorilla lift, and all these different poses that we have in foundation training that are all 100% geared towards integrating the muscles along the backside of your body, teaching them to work together to support you better, move you better, and absorb your weight as you move around in as many muscles as possible so that your joints are not doing it themselves. Okay. And we're going to have links to explain what a gorilla or a woodpecker yeah. is. You're going to um, get, it's so confusing to hear this stuff. That's one of the, that's one of the issues with, you know, podcast type situation uh, and exercise is no matter how well I explain it until you see it and go through it, it's going to be really hard, but I will absolutely provide you and your audience with links so that you can see these, these movements. How often should I be doing something like foundation training a day? It really varies. <laughs> it's hard to answer that question. My typical recommendation for people is five to 10 minutes a day is your minimum. I'd say five minutes a day is your minimum because what you're doing is you're practicing a neurological pattern. You're not trying to beat your body up. You're not trying to train muscles to fatigue so they recover. You're practicing a very important neurological pattern, which is hinging at the hip joints and expanding and contracting the rib cage as you breathe. Once you learn those things very well, you start moving them into isometric poses and those isometric poses become part of the five to 10 minutes a day little program you follow. 
you spend that first month or so just learning, spending five, 10 minutes a day, learning the basics of whatever movement it is, whether it's foundation training or another one that you're learning, get the movements down well so that when you start using it as prehab or as rehab, when you start flowing things together, when you start giving yourself the 10, 15, 20 minute workout version that you then start to do each day, you have it down. Your body's ready for it. It's ready to adapt and evolve with it because that's how neurological patterns improve. They don't improve through intensity. They improve through intent and repetition. So if you're working on patterns, intent and repetition, not intensity. So right now, for example, I do your run warm up and your run cool down. The run warm up before the run, the run cool down, which is like seven minutes after. Mm -hmm. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you're pretty, you're pretty solid. I mean, okay. I can, and it should be that simple. We're going to take a quick break to hear from previous guest, Semi-Rad's Brendan Leonard, about some holiday tips, courtesy of REI. We all know how fun it can be trying to make the holidays perfect for everyone. And although your family probably loves the idea of you stressing out until you get sick or exhausted just as much as you do, maybe don't do that this year and get yourself a little something special, some sanity. Instead of getting up at 5 a.m. to be first in line for a holiday sale, try getting up at 5 a.m. to get first chair. Or instead of running yourself ragged trying to do everything, try going for a run and taking care of yourself. Maybe ditch last-minute shopping for your loved ones and go last-minute sledding or surfing with your loved ones instead. You know, outside. Wishing you simpler holidays from me and from REI. You know, I think there's so much information out there on how to train, what to eat. How do you know, as someone who's more of an expert in this field, like how should we know what to listen to and what to follow? Don't get all of your advice from podcasts, but use the podcast to point you in the direction of the research you do. But do your research. Listen to people like, I'm going to give you a couple names and research these people. Number one, if you are an athlete moving from your late 20s or 30s into your 40s, 50s, 60s, I want you to get to know Peter Park. You should read his book, Rebound. You should learn his nutrition advice, which he lives and breathes every single day. You should look into nutrition advice from guys like Chris Kresser, Dan Kalish, and Dr. Terry Walls. Particularly you, Shelby. If you don't know about Terry Walls already, you should really look into Dr. Walls. Her autoimmune protocols are phenomenal as far as nutrition goes. If you have the opportunity to learn movement practices, if you're a climber, if you're a mountain biker or a motocross racer or a snowboarder or a skateboarder, if you're somebody that takes awkward falls regularly, Things like gymnastica natural are going to be really good for you. And things like foundation training are going to really help you not get hurt as often as when you're falling. What was the first thing you say? Gymnastics what? It's called gymnastica, like G-I-N, gin, astica. Okay. It's a Brazilian form of movement that really mimics jujitsu and is taught and developed by a really brilliant practitioner named Alvaro Romano and his son, Rafael Romano. Um... But if you're looking for longevity in, in basic, I go to work, I live my life, 
I like my weekend warrior sport. I like to go surf or climb or hike or whatever. If you're looking for maintenance and the ability to keep doing that into your 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, look at foundation training and look at Peter Park's book, Rebound. You've trained some interesting people. So what was it like to train Chris Hemsworth? I mean, I really want to know what he looks like with his shirt off, but that's well, you just know, probably is, not. Is <laughs> such a handsome man. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah. I feel like an incredibly lucky guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, you have, you, you've trained Chris Hemsworth. You've trained so many great people. I love the story of Barney Miller though. Can you maybe just briefly tell us about working with Barney Miller, who's a quadriplegic surfer and just an awesome guy? So first you mentioned the word trained and I, I've trained with a lot of people, but I don't really, I'm not really a trainer. Um, I teach, you know, I teach these people and I, I spend as much time with them as is necessary to teach them and send them on their way. And sometimes as is the case with guys like uh, Chris Hemsworth and his brother, Liam, we, I've taught like they've, they've put their trainers through my certification program. So after we meet and do our initial stuff and we kind of stay in touch, they'll have somebody with them teaching them foundation training that way. It's pretty cool. Um, Barney, Barney is one of my favorites. He's a great guy. He's a good friend. But like a lot of my friends who became friends through treatments and through kind of a patient doctor relationship initially, Barney has a C7 burst fracture, which sucks. I mean, it sucks. It's, it's a paralysis from C7 down. So he's in a wheelchair. He has pretty incredible use of his upper limbs. Um, and that use has, has increased dramatically uh, since we started doing decompression breathing with him, which is one of the major principles of our foundation training work. Barney started doing that a few years ago, almost four years ago now. And he has seen a pretty drastic improvement in his overall progress and recovery since implementing this, a few of the exercises of, of our work that were applicable to him and to his body and to his situation. We work really hard on decompression breathing and all of the trainers and physical therapists that work with Barney have literal hours of video recordings that Barney and I have done together, showing them different ways to work with him. And then he even has, he's got a guy named Josh down in uh, Carlsbad that Barney works with. That is one of the most talented practitioners I've ever seen with, with uh, paralysis type patients. And Josh is somebody that I went in. I just, I just wanted to watch what they were doing and just learn from him. Um, you know, I do, I do foundation training. I do things inside the body, he's taking them into resistance training and all these different really impressive movements. And it was, it was quite cool to watch Josh and Barney work together. I actually learned a lot that day. But my role with Barney has been trying to get his body to accept all of the other treatments that he's doing better. And that's a big thing that foundation training does as an accessory is it kind of helps your body get more out of whatever else you're trying to do. And that's been a big part of the recovery this past few years for Barney has been, all right, Barney, correct your posture in the chair, learn how to move your arms in these very specific ways that start to strengthen them and start to create space all around the C7 vertebra everywhere we possibly can. Things called the sphere of tension and these different things that he's actually able to do. Um, we have a couple of videos that show the difference of him moving with a decompressed torso versus without pretty remarkable to see the difference. I just wanted to add that, you know, now he just won the ISA adaptive world championships. Indeed he did. He's about the coolest guy you'll ever meet. 
he's also, I mean, anytime I talk about Barney, I just get a big smile on my face. He's a really happy guy. He's a really inspiring guy. Um, you know, you say, you mentioned that I was a pretty serious guy. Um, and I, and I am when it comes to medicine and helping people. I love it. That's a huge part of my life. But then I get around a guy like Barney and you can't, you know, you're not serious. You're just laughing the whole time. Guy's infectiously positive and playful. And, uh, he takes his healing more seriously than anybody I've ever met. And he's also extremely playful and extremely positive. But if you, if you haven't looked into Barney Miller as a listener, I, go check out his, uh, there's a movie on him called you and me about him and his wife, Kate, who's a beautiful, uh, uh singer and recording artist. And there's a book about them as well. And the, the story is extraordinary and very inspiring, and very cool to hear. Yeah, we went we went to the premiere. It was a great movie. So thanks for sharing that. You know, who else is foundation training for? I mean, runners, rock climbers, people sitting at a desk. Is it anybody? All of those people. Okay, everybody. It, it really is for anybody because anybody that tries to breathe better and tries to stand with better posture and trains the muscles that are really deep to the muscles you see, you know, the, the multifidine muscles, the stuff that's between the vertebra, the stuff that's deep within the hip joints. If you train that well, if you find your weak points and instead of going into your strong stuff to try to strengthen your weak points, which is what foundation training is built on, you're going to notice a tremendous improvement in the way you feel. And then you're going to take those improvements to whatever you do. So it's not like a surfer should do it because they're a surfer. It's a human being should do this because they're going to feel better as a human being. And if that human being likes to surf, chances are they're going to feel better and perform better while they're surfing. So anybody with a back injury should be looking into this. If it doesn't work for you, there's lots of other things, but you should at least be looking into it and trying it. And that's how you, you got into it, right? A back injury. That's how I, that's what started this whole journey for me was I have a very ugly low spine. I have major degeneration, L4, L5, S1. I have herniations all the way from my T12 down to my my, uh, my sacrum, every single level. And I don't have any disc of any kind between L4 and L5. And my L5, S1 have fused together. Uh, over time, the bones have actually invaginated and become one. So my low back is, is screwed up. So screwed up, in fact, that in order to get out of it, I had to come up with all these exercises. And then I had to keep coming up with them because my back kind of kept creeping up on me again. So I had to keep making them better and better and better and better. And that's been a decade's worth of, uh, of, of evolution and practice now on a daily basis. And my back's getting better. Foundation training's getting better. And somehow a lot of people are getting better too. But it does come from my injury. 100%. This work is here and is strong because my back was so bad at a young age that I was supposed to get a fusion surgery that I refused. And yeah, now here I am at I'm a, I'll, be, I'll be 38 at the end of next month, and I was told I needed surgery at 27. So that's almost 11 years. That's and I've been getting better and better since then, and I surf substantially better now than I ever have. And I, I can do a lot of other things. I can, run, I can trail run really easily now. I can mountain bike. I can play. You know, I can have a really good life. Will you just tell me a little bit about, I know it's a long story, but maybe like the Cliff Notes version of your amazing story about how you founded this brand new fit movement system you call foundation training. I mean, from the back injury, you know, you obviously okay. went to school. I'll try to give you a timeline. So 2007, 
is when I was told I needed fusion surgery. And I've been experiencing pain since 1999 when I was 19 years old. I was in my last year of chiropractic school in 2007, 2008, and I was told I needed fusion surgery, but I was also a pretty good chiropractor. So here I was in 2007, I was told I needed fusion surgery. I started doing these exercises to get myself better. They started working by the end of 2007. I was offered this really remarkable internship slash gig with Dr. Terry Schroeder, who was also the head coach of the U.S. Olympic team. And by the middle of 2008, I was successfully training an Olympic team towards their first medal in 20 years that they got on August 8th of 2008. And I got these amazing testimonials. And I realized at that time that there was something to the exercises I was doing for myself because I had been teaching them to all of these Olympians for almost a year now. And they were getting stronger. They were doing less weights. They weren't lifting many weights anymore. They were doing a lot of body weight work every day in addition to their pool training. And I was doing a lot of body weight work every day in addition to my treatments on people. And all of us were getting better. And that was this really interesting year from the end of 2007 to the end of 2008. And it was the biggest transition year of my life. And it showed me, A, how much harder I could work because I saw this group of 20 Olympians or so, 25 Olympians, work in their butts off six days a week, 12, 13, 14 hours a day, because I was there with them six days a week, 12, 13, 14 hours a day training them or being there as a part of the medical staff or being there just to lend an ear, whatever, cheer them along. Because of the success of the Olympic team at the end of the year, I got an Olympic medal. It's on my wall. I love it. I got a silver. It's rad. Such an incredible reminder of really powerful year in 2008. Um, I got testimonials from all those guys. Even uh, a testimonial from Dr. Schroeder saying that a big part of the team's success was because of the training that I was doing with them. And I took that and I made an email and I sent it to like 20 people in Santa Barbara because I really wanted to live in Santa Barbara. And I sent them this email with a bunch of testimonials talking about what I do. Half of them were chiropractors and half of them were trainers. And one of them got back to me. And that one person was Peter Park and his wife, Kelly Park. And that was now early 2009 when they got back to me and I went to Peter's gym. And I showed him a little bit about foundation training and Peter and I started working together a lot in early 2009, a lot, a lot in mid-2009. And by the end of that year, we knew we had something. He saw a lot of value in the foundation training exercises, but they weren't even called foundation training or anything yet. We started training a lot of people together. We started working towards writing a book together. By mid-2011, that book came out. From 2009 to 2011, I taught classes several times a week learning how to teach this work, learning how to help people understand it, learning how to find what wasn't working very well with it and improve it. And those classes started out as donation-based classes. And there was this sort of infectious growth of our work. And it hasn't stopped. <laughs> it's now 2018 and it's still going. But along the way, there's been a couple books now there's been a whole teaching team that helped me build up our certification process. We have over a thousand instructors around the world now teaching this work. And I don't know how else to say it other than it just kind of happened because I taught everybody I could how to do this. Like every single chance I got, I used to call myself Johnny Apple movement. I felt like I was just bouncing around the country teaching, you know, planting these little seeds, biomechanics, like, Hey, 
why don't you try this? Maybe you should try that. That's, that's, that's awesome. And I love that you, you know, kind of basically had a donation box to like, I literally, literally had a donation yeah, box. Yeah. <laughs> literally making money doing this. And you had a couple of like pretty influential clients and you'd mentioned Luke Walton and an engineer from Google. You know, I want to go back because you had this wild idea to sort of start this movement. And, and I think there's a lot of people, like I said, who want to be yoga instructors or a different kind of health practitioner, you know, any mm-hmm. advice to people starting out in this field of wanting to help other people? Like what should they do? What should they start? What should, where, what should they remember that helped you? I don't think they're going to like it. That's okay. But I, but this is my, <laughs> my genuine advice. Anybody, anybody with a college degree can become a doctor in four years, can become a physical therapist in two to four years, can become an acupuncturist in a couple of years, can become a rolfer or a high level massage therapist or some clinician. You can find a license to work with people on their health and gain a lot of knowledge along that pathway. The knowledge and confidence you get from being a licensed practitioner in the health field will help you teach everything you teach with more knowledge, more understanding of what goes wrong in the body. It's easy to make things go right. It's much more important that you understand how things can go wrong. Pathology is such an important part of being a practitioner of any kind. I suffered through grad school. I made it through it. I got my license. I love what I learned. But the structure of school was just miserable. And it really taught me that sometimes you just got to get through it to get to the other side. And that's what's made me a really good instructor, too. That's what's made me a good teacher, is I see all those people trying to understand. And I see the challenges they've had. Go through the struggles. Get your degree. Put yourself through it. Get creative. Get confident teach everybody you can. And when you don't know something, don't know it, go learn it, go get better at it. Don't pretend you know it. I know a lot of instructors out there that have very successful careers. And I know a number of people that for no reason at all, other than working hard on themselves and then teaching other people have made really wonderful careers helping people. But I really believe that a license allows you to touch more people, teach more people, and treat more people, plain and simple. Ever since I was young, like since college, I went to college in Orlando, and I grew up in South Florida, and I always wanted to get out of there, not because it's a terrible place, it's wonderful, <laughs> but it wasn't for me. And I always said, like, I'm not, I'm not going to go wh- where I think I need to go. I'm going to go where I really want to go, and then I'm going to become successful there, instead of becoming successful somewhere and then trying to figure out where I want to go and trying to figure out where I want to be. And I moved to Santa Barbara in 2008 because I had visited here before and I loved it and I just wanted to live here. So I said on many occasions to myself and to others, go where you want to be and then become successful. Do not, do not put all of your effort into becoming successful right where you are. If it's not where you want to be now and you already know it, that would be a huge mistake. You know, any advice you're a dad now and congrats, your, your little kid is so cute you know, advice to raising kind of super mobile kids. I mean, eventually she's going to go to school, sit in a chair. Like, how do you do it? It must be really fun to also watch them move because they are so mobile. Well, I successfully did it by marrying a pediatric physical therapist. Um, We don't have much furniture in our house. There's a really intelligent woman named Katie Bowman that kind of 
I don't know if she started this movement, but she she speaks a lot about just not having much furniture, having things to climb on and play on instead in the home. Really like that idea. I think that's much closer to our nature. Wait, tell me about this because we have no furniture in our house and it drives me crazy. In our bedroom, we just have a bed. There's no nightstands. Yeah. There's no dressers. Yeah. There's nothing. Yeah, what do you need that stuff for, really? I know. It's a yoga room in every room. Well, I think furnitureless houses create moment-to-moment problem-solving for people wanting to sit on furniture. And I think that that problem-solving down the line leads to kids that understand how to squat better and kneel better and get up and off the floor a little better. And parents also that know how to do those things. Kids mimic parents. If you want your kid to move a lot, move a lot. If you want your kid to sit down and look at phones a lot, sit down and look at phones a lot. That's Ah. it. Like, that's what happens. They mimic what you do. If I go like this, my kid's going to go like this. Like, that's just it's what it is. <laughs> like, it's awesome. It's hysterical. And it really lets you see who you are and what you're doing. You know, before we go, we ask a lot of our guests this, and I think you've had such an interesting path to doing what you do. You, you did take the road less traveled. I mean, starting a whole different type of biomechanical exercise and calling a foundation training, having a business, it's a pretty different path to have taken. Any advice you'd give to your 15-year-old self? Because I think that's that's an age where we're like in high school and we're a little awkward and I don't know, we're just trying to figure things out or just your younger self. I would have gotten myself into swimming a little bit earlier. Mm. I got into swimming in high school. I would have gotten into it in like elementary school and I would have gotten into martial arts younger. I'm not into martial arts. I just like to, I like to look at it. I like to learn about it a little bit. I'm planning on entering that territory in the near future just to learn myself, just to learn how to grapple a little better, learn how to control my body in in that aggressive way a little bit better. And yeah, I think that's, that's the advice I would give myself as a young man is take something that focuses your energy and really focus it. If I could do anything different, I had a lot of issues when I was like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and they started to come out of those issues when I started swimming and I started lifting weights and I started just doing more, playing more. And I wish that I had done that at a very young age. And surfing is another thing. I started surfing when I was 25 and I wish that I had started it when I was five. Yeah, you were late. <laughs> yeah, I was late. I do but too. I've done, I've done it almost every day since. That's you know, awesome. 12. 12, 13 years now. And it's just the best. Johnny and I joke that if we have a kid, that kid's going to be like in gymnastics, swimming and surfing, like the minute it's out of the womb. But yeah, see ours, we have Sunny at the beach. We have, well, her name is Sonora, but we call her Sunny. We have Sunny at the beach every day and she comes in the water and I'm going to get a board made that she has a little handle to hold on to a little long board that she can hold on to while I like do little belly waves with her and stuff. But cool. that's, that's a little down the line. She's got to be a slightly bit older. I think just having them in nature, you don't have to teach a kid how to be a gymnast. You just have to bring them out to an area they have to climb up and down on. You have to bring them out to sand and to rocks and to water and to hills and to, to let them be a part of this outside experience. And you'll be blown away how much a kid moves. They don't stop. It's awesome. It Very is beautiful. awesome. Got to give them the opportunity to do it though. You know, getting out in nature, we've had so many podcasts about getting kids in nature and it's it's game changer for kids. What's wrong with people staying inside all the time? It's terrible. What's wrong with you people? Get outside. Even if it's your job. As soon as you're not at your job, be outside. That second. Eric, where can we find more? Like where can people get foundation training, try it, do it, learn more about you? 
Uh, foundationtraining.com is our website. And we are going to have a brand new website before the end of the year. But the one that we have right now works perfectly fine. You'll still have everything you need on there. We have certified instructors all over the world, which is nuts. We lit, I mean, they're in 30 plus countries now. Some of them are, are really talented instructors, too, that are helping a lot of people get out of pain. We have a couple books that are on Amazon. And I think that's it. There's classes, there's trainers, there's free YouTube videos, there's all sorts of stuff. Just Google foundation training and learn whatever you can. And I hope it makes you feel better. From a deep down place, I hope it makes you feel better. Thanks to Eric for doing this podcast. Thank you to author and publisher Karen Rinaldi, who suggested we do this interview. And thanks to you for listening and writing reviews on iTunes. TRX Tim, AJ Nashville, Tear Bear 2015, Carol Rose Kish. There's been so many of you. I so appreciate it. Okay, you've got a week to write me a letter. Go to info at wildideasworthliving.com. Tell me your wild idea. What are you doing in the next year or this past year that I should shout out on the final episode of the year? So my goal is to read these out loud or at the very least post them because I think we can all be inspired by each other. So many of you have written me that you're doing really wild things, moving to different places, going on big adventures. Someone just told me they're going to through hike 100 miles over their break. That's awesome. And I'd love to hear from you. So thank you for listening to the show. Thank you again for your reviews on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. If you haven't written one and you have something nice to say or a suggestion, we all read these. So does REI. This show is a labor of love. So this is how you can show your love for helping us keep this show free. Wherever you are, remember the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you next week or the week after that. Enjoy. Enjoy.